Very good, very good, very good. Glad to know that everything's working fine. And we're on time, and the phones are ready, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. 217-688-1433, you'd like to be on the program. And I do hope you'll give us a call tonight. Let's go check on Ann Coulter. That's it, it's over. Then we organized the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda. The event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like uh, sort of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment. All right, on with it. Welcome to the Radical Agenda, the show about timeless ideas and news of the day. Whatever's on your mind at 217-688-1433. Yes, this agenda is quite radical, and welcome to it. This 49th episode of the Sixth Station of Pogrom. Today is January 5th, 2024 is the current year. It's a Friday as usual, and we are coming to you live once again from my undisclosed location where, uh, you know, on the eve, that's what this is of the third anniversary of the January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol, United States Attorney General Merrick Garland earlier today denounced what he called a deeply disturbing spike in threats against those who serve the public. He went into some detail about threats against federal judges, FBI agents, members of Congress, presidential candidates, election workers, and others who receive their sustenance and social status through the coercion of the American people. Mr. Garland, of course, considers this unacceptable, and we here at the Radical Agenda are compelled to agree. The circumstances which brought about this enmity between state and citizen is a terrible tragedy, and for all the, for the good of all mankind, it is very important that responsible leaders step forward and stop this disintegration of our social order. But responsible leaders are nowhere to be found. Mr. Garland responds to this with promises to continue hunting down all who dared express skepticism at Joe Biden's brazen and implausible theft of the 2020 election. He is well aware that such behavior has a causal link to the enmity, and he purports to think he can overcome this with the force of the federal government. He is tragically mistaken. No government has stayed in power through force alone long. The the United States Declaration of Independence says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Deprive the legitimacy of conferred by credible elections and forfeiting what goodwill otherwise remained by selling this country out to Ukraine and Israel and opening our borders to invasion, there is no consent of the governed of which to speak. The relationship between state and citizen today is a relationship between predator and prey. A massive disruption to that order of the food chain is inevitable, and Garland only stretches a rubber band with his efforts to stave off the consequences of his malfeasance through force and deception. 
Turning to the January 6th anniversary, Garland said it represented, quote, an unprecedented attack on the cornerstone of our system of government, the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to the next. He said it was account, on account of this attack on our system of government that his office had rounded up more than 1,250 people and charged them criminally. But for those of us who cannot escape awareness that our system of government was attacked in a rather different fashion than Garland states, rounding up a thousand of the people responsible proves a rather more challenging hurdle. The people who went to the Capitol that day have much greater confidence in their theory of the attack than Garland does in his. They do not have to look for evidence of it. It is thrown in their faces every day. Every time they see a newspaper or turn on a television, they are screamed at by the people who victimized them. They can detect the mockery and contempt in the tone of their tormentors. It's really important that you don't make threats. A wise man once told me, if you're going to do something, just do it. Threats are very stupid. There's no sense in warning people who already know that what they're doing is wrong. Of course... Clearly, the people threatening FBI agents, judges, and courthouses would not be well served by this advice any more than they were by their threats. You try to attack these people, you're going down much harder than you would be for the threat. I only say this because it is an important preference to, uh, preface to saying that I get why people feel like they have no other choice but to threaten or otherwise lash out. These are not criminals. They're good people who are trying to do the right thing. And they understand that in this society, doing the right thing involves suffering, but they do it anyway because that's what good people do. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. As I saw this come up, you know, we, these stories pop up from time to time. And it's amusing to me that they're like, oh my God, you know. These people are threatening the government. Can you believe the audacity of these people? And I'm like, I can't believe their restraint. Is it actually? That's the more difficult thing to comprehend that, you know, that these people have been so well behaved for so long, you know. I was reading today about two things that really irked me. In addition, before I came across this headline, I was reading about Ray Epps and him, you know, receiving some sweetheart deal with the federal government that they never even charged him with a felony, right? And if you look at the Ray Epps story, his involvement in January 6th, I mean, he's one of the principal instigators of the whole thing. Where the first breach happened, when the police are first attacked, he whispers at a guy's ear, seconds before, a second, a fraction of a second, before he attacked officers. Epps was egging people on to go into the Capitol building and saying, I'm probably going to go to jail for this. He was like a chapter leader of the Oath Keepers, which the government says is this violent, dangerous extremist group. Okay, there's pictures with him and Stuart Rhodes together. And that's not mentioned at all in the government sentencing memorandum. 
They want him to do six months on a misdemeanor charge that he's pleaded guilty to. And the government is not only giving him a lenient charge and a lenient sentence, they're actually expressing sympathy for him being attacked on the internet. (laughs) They cited Revolver News. They say, Revolver News is spread a conspiracy theory about Mr. Epps. And since Mr. Epps is in no way, shape, or form acting on behalf of the United States government or any element thereof, we're very concerned about people saying that he is. Because, you know, that's a very bad insult. We have some consciousness of this. That's not exactly the way they worded it, but, you know. And then I watched uh, Tucker Carlson interviewed the brother of Jeffrey Epstein. And the stories with the Epstein, you know, so-called suicide, it's just, it's not, it doesn't even try to be plausible, right? It's one of those things. It's like the 2020 election, <laughs> which I don't know. Some people that listen to the show still believe in the 2020 election. It's amusing. But, you know, when they talk about, you know, this is, the, this is the guy's brother, right? Jeffrey Epstein's brother has no interest in, like, keeping his brother's name in the news. It's actually, like, the last thing he wants. He didn't have anything to do with his brother. He wasn't involved in any of the stuff that his brother was involved in. And, you know, after Jeffrey Epstein died, you know, that guy needed, like, armed guards. He was, he was uh, he said that... Uh, you know, people were trying to attach him to whatever his brother was up to and that he was getting threats and all this stuff. So it's really the last thing, you know, from the limited information I have about the guy, it certainly seems like there's nothing for him to gain by keeping this in the news. The best thing for him is if the thing is really a suicide, the best thing for him is to let it die. But he goes on Tucker Carlson and he's like, I've been trying to get information. I'm his only surviving relative. I'm trying to get information about how my brother died. And I can't get any. And the information that I get is nonsense on its face. And those just being two of the examples, you know, the Jeffrey Epstein thing, the January 6th nonsense, the 2020 election. What option do decent people who see that have for addressing their grievances? And the answer is they're not given options. And I tread carefully here. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know, there's a time when I probably would have been more careless with my words than I am today. The theory of elections, democratic government, is that, you know, you you there's no excuse for attacking the state because you, you're always two, four, and six years away from completely replacing everybody in the institution, you know? All you have to do is participate. You just have to be an adult and show up and talk and negotiate. And whether you get exactly what you want, you know, is another question, but 
you can prevent the most egregious things from happening. Or at least you can create enough disruption to the current order that you have, you know, a different set of problems to deal with, say. But that's actually, like, not what we're facing. They are not given any means by which to redress grievances. And that leaves them in a position where, you know, they have to regain some sense of control over the situation. That's that's the only thing that a decent person can do is try to reassert themselves in some way. And these people are attempting to do that by threatening public officials. It's not a good idea. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to help you. And so I don't recommend it, but I have all the sympathy in the world for the people who are going through that. And so... 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do. Give us a call. Caller, you're on the Radical Agenda. What's your agenda? My agenda is uh, Mike Lee from, uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Yeah. Okay, so I uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Mike Lee, I don't know, uh, he visited um, Israel on Thanksgiving I, I wasn't aware of Mike Lee's, you know, travel itinerary, but it's not surprising to me that Mike Lee went to Israel. A lot of senators do that, yeah. And I'm not I'm not sure if you're aware that in Wisconsin, a small town in Wisconsin, Stanley, Wisconsin, they are building apartments for Somalians. Two thousand population in Stanley, Wisconsin. It's not it's not widely reported or you know. Yeah, I don't know about this particular apartment complex. I I don't have um, spent a lot of time at the uh, zoning board in Wisconsin, but I understand the phenomenon because they've done this here. You know, uh, we have you know in Manchester, New Hampshire, they've completely destroyed the city. It's uh, and they've done that in Maine. And Jared Howe, Jared Howe has reported on this, or he's uh, broadcast that in Maine, right? Yeah, he's talked about it a lot, what they did, especially in Lewiston, Maine, uh, with Somalis. Like, you know, it's a it's it's a deeply, deeply, you know, sick. They're acting on a racial animus against white populations and trying to, you know, destroy them demographically by inserting like the lowest of the low people into their into their you know environment. So are you uh, like I, I don't know what's your opinion on Jared Howe? I he entered he introduced me to you when you were going through all the stuff that you went through. Um, do you have anything more to say? Like he interviewed you when you were in jail and prison or whatever you were in. So I don't know, like if you can expand on that. So uh, I. I... I have a little trouble believing that you're as in the dark as you claim to be. I mean, it, it, you know, Jared Howe was basically, you know, he he carried my voice to my audience while I was in jail in Charlottesville. And then he started doing his podcast after I made bail and um, and I started syndicating him on my website. And we had that relationship for a number of years. When I got arrested in January 2020, Jared was, you know, uh, t- taking segments from our calls and airing them on his podcast 
And then we had sort of a falling out after I got out of prison and he's no longer on my website. I wasn't aware of the falling out. I just was, I just listened to the interviews that he broadcast on, I believe his website. So I'm not trying to be naive or trying to be deceptive. That's, I just don't listen to Jared Howard anymore. And I don't know all the details and stuff like that. So I just, uh, I just wanted to inform you that I, is there any senators that you or senators, any Congress people that you think are on our side on the dissident right or whatever you call it, whatever you might call it? I don't, I'm not sure. you know, I don't, I don't know that there's dissident right United States senators sitting now. Um, you know, it's, you know, there's questions. Or Congress of, people like in the house, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, I don't think that there's, you know, many radical agenda listeners elected to the house of representatives say, but, I think that there are people oh, no, who are more. I, I, what yeah. I'm getting at is, I think that there are people who are more or less in our direction. Say, okay, so you know, Mitch McConnell. What does that Mitch, mean exactly? Well, that's the the whole entire point of why I keep talking. So, Mitch McConnell is our enemy, right? I don't believe that that's of the course. case for, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates. Say, okay, now, yeah, <laughs> there's people in our circles who are like, I agree, hundred percent. There's people in our circles who are like, oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, repeats all the race-blind nonsense of conservative ink, and therefore she's the enemy. And I'm like, you're a dumb fuck, you know, grow up and stop trying to act so cool, you know, is my attitude about that. You know, I don't think that those people I are agree. our enemies. I think that, you know, making them our enemies just distances us from, you know, centers of power. And so, you know, if we want to get it to a point where people who are more in line with our ideas are actually in the in you know positions of power then we need to have proximity to those positions and that's you know you you create these conduits of influence to to power and then you travel the conduits you know who are those people and and what are those conduits in your opinion i mean to try to argue you say black pill devin stock devin stack I, I don't listen to Devin Stack. What I know about Devin Stack, I don't like. Yeah, he he, he goes because he goes on. He goes what I, what little I know of him, mind you. It's not I'm not very well informed of what he does, but in my observations of what he does, is he basically calls people cutards and trumpites or whatever his stupid little slogans are, and just you know preaches there's no I, hope. I disagree, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead with your disagreement then. Well, he doesn't say that. Yeah, well, he actually does. So that's just and what did you say? Q tards and what? Trumpists what, what or Trumpites or whatever it is. I mean, these are words that I am quoting from his Telegram channel. They're things he's said. From okay, so have you listened to his latest podcast no, of on not. Odyssey? Of course, I haven't listened to his latest well, podcast on Odyssey. Making a, how can you form an opinion based on not listening to what he says? I can podcast on Odyssey. the same way that I form opinions about everything in the world, which is by, you know, inference from what I do observe. OK, I don't have to listen to everything a person says to develop some idea of what they're doing. Right. And so if he goes on there and basically well, says, not, OK, you, go, you don't get you to do, fucking talk over that. me. Just, you know, get, shut the fuck up for a fucking second. OK, go ahead. Okay? Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, yeah, go ahead. so like. 
I don't have time to listen to every fucking podcast on the internet. I'm a fucking busy guy. I have work to do, all right? And if I think that somebody has dumb fucking ideas, the last thing I want to do is listen to them talk for two hours, okay? And so what I know of Devon Stack is that he, he, he basically attacks people who want to participate in politics. He thinks that those people are counterproductive and, and, uh, and are working contrary to the interests of white people, and because of that, his words are not valuable to me because that's preposterous. And so that's why I don't listen to his fucking podcast, and that's why nobody else should either. But they do, sadly, and he's part of the problem. <laughs> he's part of the problem or the solution? Thank you very much for the call. 217-688-1433. you like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Caller, you're on the Radical Agenda. What's your agenda? Hello. Uh, yes. Uh, can you hear me there? Yeah, I Rick? hear you fine, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you you mentioned the name uh, Jeffrey Epstein. And I always, uh, from the beginning there, I never did accept that he's actually dead. And the reason, one of the reasons is, uh, okay, for one thing, the guy had a lot of money, obviously. I mean, a lot of money. And he has friends that have even more money, right? So, I, I mean, they were bribing all the, the, the warden and all these guards anyway. So it would have been actually easier for him to, uh, for them to just fake wheeling him out there, fake a death, and get him out of there, and then uh, give him a fake ID, maybe a little touch-up uh, plastic surgery, and, and put him wherever he wanted to live, which would probably might be Tel Aviv, or it could be he might still be in New York City somewhere with a disguise. Uh, and, uh, another reason is this, this book, uh, that I mentioned previously on your show, uh, the name of the book is by way, I have it right here, by way of deception. It's a, it's by a, an ex Mossad officer whose name is, uh, Victor Ostrovsky. The guy had an art gallery in Scottsdale, but, uh, he mentioned in there that there was a guy, there was, uh, he's talking about the Mossad operations. There was, there was, some guy, some Israeli that was supposed to testify at the Iran-Contra hearings. And what they did was they just faked his death. I mean, he says this in the book. They faked his death, gave him fake ID. So this is something that they know how to do. And the, uh, Mossad has always been experts at faking identities, having fake um, ID and so forth. And, you know, so I, personally, I mean, uh, and the only guy that identified... Uh, Epstein's corpse was his brother, I think. So, I mean, as far as that goes, there's that. And uh, But, I mean, uh, if he's still alive. Actually, his, uh, Jelaine Maxwell's dad also could have been the same thing. He supposedly fell off a boat and drowned, but he, that could have been also a fake. He was in trouble. He could have just said, fuck it, I'm getting out of here. I mean, people do that. Same thing happened probably with, uh, was that guy, Ken Lay. Well, I think my my, my reading of the uh, my reading of the Robert Maxwell thing is that Mossad killed him. Um, that that you know the story that he fell off the boat and drowned was not really plausible. You know that the idea that you know this guy's been going out on a boat his whole life and then just fell off the side and drowned is you know it's hard to believe, right? And so I read a book called Gideon's Spies. Uh, I think the author's name is Gordon Thomas. Um, and, you know, he makes the claim, essentially, that Mossad agents went and killed him because, 
you know, he was working with the Mossad to do all manner of things, and he was kind of like a subversive element in Britain. And so, you know, he was he was threatening to talk. He was threatening to divulge secrets. And well, you know, the the Jews aren't going to let you do that. And so, the story story told by Gordon Thomas and Gideon spies is that uh, that the Mossad killed him to shut him up. And it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to find out that the same thing happened to Jeffrey Epstein, right? I mean. You know, this guy, um, I don't know all the details of it, but, you know, he certainly had Mossad connections, right? Aside from the fact that, you know, his girlfriend's father was, you know, involved with the Mossad. Um, My limited understanding of it, I haven't gone through all the papers yet, but some of the documents that have been recently released, you know, suggest that there's more connections to the, the Israeli intelligence agency. And so that, you know, in that context, it makes a great deal of sense that like, okay, this, this Jewish guy is basically trying to get, um, you know, powerful people into compromising positions and filming them in order to blackmail them in order to, you know, engineer world affairs in favor of the Jewish state. And so if you're in that position and, you know, you're about to get caught or for whatever reason, you know, the, the Israeli state decides that, you know, you, you continuing to be alive is too big of a liability. They'll, they'll turn around and they'll kill you. They'll definitely do it, right? It's the only reasonable thing for them to do is to kill you. So... And you know that they've got enough power here in the United States to, you know, to get away with things. So that's what that that seems to that seems to be more plausible than a fake death. Right. Why would why would they go through the trouble of faking Jeffrey Epstein's death when they can just kill him? You know, the, the, the you know, Jeffrey Epstein himself, you know, how important is he to anybody? I don't know that there's I don't know that there's a, a satisfying answer to that. It seems to be that. He's a threat to a lot of people, and you know some of those people eventually decided that like they're not going to tolerate the threat anymore. Well, he had a lot of money. I mean, uh, uh, he could have bribed people, but I mean, you say somebody killed him. How how did that come about? Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine, pal. I, the question is, I, I, we don't know. It's the whole entire point of the fucking question, right? Uh, you know, the whole entire point of what they did was to make sure that you don't know and all we really do know is that the story that they're feeding us is complete bullshit right so when people lie yeah, to well, you when people lie to you they they typically have motives for doing that right we we understand that you know no matter how much anybody likes lying they're always doing so with some kind of motive it's not just a hobby and when so when they're what they're doing is they're when they lie to you about something they're informing you in a sense <coughs> that that what they're telling you is not true, first of all, and then you you have to make inferences about why they're why they're telling the lie, right? And you know, we well, that's all that we can do here is speculate and infer. We don't have any information, right? That's the whole entire point of the enterprise. Yeah, we don't know. That's right. I don't know for sure. I just brought up this idea that from this book, this Mossad guy said that they do that. They fake deaths and. I think that's what happened to Ken Lay, who, who died all of a sudden. His wife got, I don't know if you're familiar with that case. Ken Lay was a uh, Enron. And he, his wife had all the money, and then he faked his death, I believe, and he's probably he's playing cards with uh, Jeffrey Epstein somewhere. In, in, uh, the, somewhere. But uh, uh, what else were you talking about? Merrick Garland? Yeah, I mean, Ray Epps. 
the whole thing, uh, the American people are starting to wise. It's not that they're stupid. It's just that they're, they're powerless. They, they think they can't do anything. Most of the American people don't like Merrick Garland, who's actually, I think his name is actually Garfinkel. And uh, why do we have to have uh, all these uh, Jews in, running the country when actually there's no real reason for that except they, they want to control everything, right? Well, you know, I... Uh... <laughs> they have to control everything for their own fucking interests. It's certainly not being done for ours, right? And so, right. Um, you know, that's uh, that's certainly the case, my friend. And I thank you very much for the call. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Call, you're on the Radical Agenda. What's your agenda? Hey, what's up, Chris? It's Tyler from the Midwest. Uh, I just wanted to talk to you about Mayor Garland and the Justice Department. Yeah. Um, I was reading the AP today. Apparently, the Justice Department is suing Texas um, because they passed their own law about letting police arrest migrants who enter the U.S. legally. So the federal <laughs> Department of Justice is suing a state for trying to protect the border of a country. It just blew my fucking gourd when I read that. I knew something like that had gone on with some of the other efforts they made, but this is from the Texas Supreme Court, and... <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of mind-blowing to me. I, It's literally just open treason. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think this is the this is not particularly unique, right? I mean, there, there's been this back and forth between Texas and the federal government over, you know, immigration policy for a while. I don't think that this is the first lawsuit. Um, there was... Uh, no, was it? Not. There was another. And, there was and, another yeah. state also that put up. What was it? Um, I want to say. I think it was Arizona. Had put up basically shipping yep. can- containers as a makeshift border wall, and the federal government sued, I believe, successfully to to force them to take those down. You know, and so like, you know, th- that's create. You know, they're they're putting these states in a situation where like the only option that they have is you know, is secession, right? It, that that you you basically just have to say like we're not going to recognize the decisions of federal courts anymore. Because you can't impose upon us open borders, you can't in, you can't subject us to invasion. You know the the Constitution of the United States says that the federal government shall protect them against invasion. It's not may, not might, not ought to. It's shall. Okay, and shall has specific legal meaning. And so, like, you know, if the government, if the if the federal government is not going to keep up its end of the contract, then it's basically going to lose. You know, it's going to lose the authority to, to impose decisions upon states. Unfortunately, you know, we have this situation going on where, um, you know, all of the states are basically dependent on federal funds. The funds are siphoned out through the federal tax code and then and then distributed, uh, you know, plus inflation and whatever uh, to to the states and the federal government turns around and makes up some really substantial portion of their budgets and so they don't they're they're averse to you know to telling the government no but they're gonna have to fucking do exactly. that they, they have no other choice right you can't you, you can't forever be in the situation where the federal government just forces you to take in endless streams of migrants and you know, while it's kind of amusing that Greg Abbott goes and takes the migrants and drops them off, you know, in New York and New Jersey and Chicago to the point where New York, New Jersey and Chicago are calling it a crisis. 
and and taking all these emergency measures just to deal with the ones that Texas is shipping to them. You know, if that's the case, then, you know, obviously what's happening to Texas is a lot worse than what's happening to New York City. And so, you know, they don't they, they're going to be put in a position where they they just have to disobey the federal courts. But they're obviously going to be very hesitant to do that. Right. And they're not I mean, Abbott's kind of a cuck, too. So, it's, I mean, you know, he makes a lot of noise on the border because his citizens are irritated as hell. But he, you know, has other priorities. Um, it, it's interesting that you brought up they require federal funds to get a lot of this done. Um, I was reading into it. I mean, that's the same reason you're starting to see Section 8 housing pop up in nice neighborhoods that you've never seen before because these jurisdictions rely on federal funding for all these things, and they're using it as a carrot-and-stick carrot approach. But the stick is you don't get any federal funds. The carrot is like, well, here's your millions of dollars to develop your community. Um, I mean, to me, it's just like a, a really deep form of evil that needs to be addressed on more than a local level. And I don't understand where Republicans aren't doing a goddamn thing. I mean, you know, Mike Johnson went down there, you know, the new speaker. Um, he visited the border. He was looking around. Um, you know, I think it was something to do with Operation Lone Star, um, you know, which, which they started, you know, for all those incentives for the police to uh, – I guess apprehend illegal immigrants for misdemeanors, shit they were doing, anything they can do to stem some of the flow. And uh, Mike Johnson went down there, you know, he kind of overlooked it, you know, he's like, oh, well, yeah, the border's bad, you know, and he goes back and says, no more funding for Ukraine and Israel, supposedly, if we don't get some border work. Well, it's still not happening. I, I, I don't know. It looks like the movie theater to me. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, look, they're not. <laughs> The people who are in the Congress right now, first of all, if the Republicans wanted to impose upon the federal government, they couldn't, okay? What what people need to understand is that the Democrats will, it, it almost always happens to be the case that when there's a shutdown of the federal government, the public ends up blaming the Republican Party and saying, you know, you won't go along to get along, Okay. <clears throat> And that's mm-hmm. stupid, mm-hmm. And, the, and the Republicans need to get over that. But here's the thing. I said this about Trump in, you know, I guess it was 2018, that, you know, he, he said, we'll shut down the federal government unless you give me the border wall, okay? And he engaged in the longest shutdown of the federal government in the history of the country. And there, that, and yeah. there was all this speculation of like, well, you know, what is he going to cave? And I'm like, well, of course he's going to cave. Of course he's going to cave. Why? Because Donald Trump doesn't want to destroy the country, and the Democrats do, right? So the Democrats are like, the Democrats are not spending like drunken sailors because they can't add and subtract, right? They're doing this to destroy the country, right? And so if they can destroy, if they can, you know, and actually, matter of fact, like the government actually has, you know, responsibilities. And so you can't, you can't just turn it off and then turn it back on. It's not the way this works. And so what what ends up happening is when the Republicans shut down the government in order to, you know, to make some political point, they don't make their political point because what actually ends up happening is 100% of the time they they understand that the Democrats will will kill the hostage. And so they don't they don't they can't coerce the Democrats by shutting down the government because Democrats are like, oh, well, just go ahead and, and do that. 
We'll say it's your fault. Eventually, you're going to cave. We won't because we don't care about the well-being of our citizens. We're going to do what we want to do, and you're going to come along with us because you will not destroy the country, right? And that's why it always goes badly for the Republicans. So, so they'll go and they'll make some, you know, th- some political theater out of it, and then they'll look weak and pathetic because they'll cave. And they and it's as predictable as sunrise and sunset that they will. It absolutely is. Yeah, I agree. And so, you know, it, it, it's sad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's very sad. You know, but it's like, you know, but this is also why, like. You know, it's why I get annoyed when people are like, when people act like there's no such thing as progress that is not a 180 degree turnaround of the system, right? You know, when Donald Trump was president of the United States, you know, he was subverted in his presidency the whole time, but, you know, he did try to do things and, and he didn't have quite the power that people are who are ignorant of our system of government believe that he did, right? Like he didn't have 60 votes in the Senate. He had a bare majority in the House. And he had, you know, John McCain and Paul Ryan in either, you know, House of the Legislature undermining him. And so, like, yeah. you know, it wasn't like Donald Trump had the authority to pass his own laws. And then, you know, you basically had, you know, leading into the 2018 midterms then, you know, people in our circles were like, yeah, fuck this. Like, why would I support these people if they're not going to do what I want? And then the Democrats took the House and then it's been all downhill from there. And so, like, you know, and things just keep on getting worse. And some people think that that's, you know, some people are of the opinion that, you know, that's exactly what you want is to get things to be as bad as possible, as rapidly as possible so that people get so uncomfortable that they want radical changes. And you know, I understand that line of thinking. Yeah. I I had for a time embraced it, but yeah. I don't think that it's very sound. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a family guy, um, so I don't necessarily want to see everything burned down around me, right? I mean, I've got children to think about, you know, and, and their well-being. Um, I will say that I don't feel represented in way, shape, any way, shape, or form, you know, in the entirety of American politics. Um, most of the people that even come close to my beliefs and, you know, major political parties say other retarded shit that I don't want to be associated with. Perfect example, that's like Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, she occasionally says something good about the border, population of the United States, et cetera, et cetera. But then she'll say something retarded. And I, I just don't want anything to do with it, you know. Um, I, I, you know, everybody I've been talking to lately is talking about think local, Right. And there's some evidence that Think Local works, but part of what we were just discussing shows that in the long term, unless you're willing to really run your own fucking state without help from the federal government, if that's even possible, that's going to be your only alternative. And it just seems like there needs to be larger national movements that address this. Um, and I, I just, I don't, I don't see the next step because the Republicans actively vet out anybody that's pro-white now unless it's like a spook or something like that you know so i just i i don't know you know i don't know what options we have left anymore other than laying down and dying well i don't see that laying down and dying is an option at all but i understand what you what you mean that this is basically what they expect us to do and so right hyperbole but yeah yeah i mean this is this is basically what merrick garland was all have of us right no shut up take it oh yeah you know 
you stupid fucking goyim cattle, you lay there and you take my abuse and you thank me for it. You know, that's that's Merrick Garland's view of what you're supposed to do. And so, you know, the conclusion I sort of came to a long time ago was that, you know, you actually like don't you you don't have any there's nothing that you can do by yourself, right? You don't there's nothing that your two hands can do to 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 affect the situation. You have to you have to move towards other centers of power. Okay? You you have to you have to be you have to ingratiate yourself to those elements of power and you have to do what you can to try to influence those levers of power. And now that's not there's not a there's not a there's not a set of instructions that I can give you for that. You know, it's, it's that it's not sure. straightforward at all. But like, that's my that's my view of it. Essentially, is that like okay, you know, you know, you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene. Fine, she says some dumb shit, but like, you know, she's she's a conduit of influence, right? That like, you know, she's reachable. Apparently, you know, people people submit ideas to Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then they end up spoken on the floor of the House of Representatives, right? And so she's true. she's one example of that that influenceable person that you can transmit, you know, ideas from the, you know, the radical echo chambers of the dissident right and the darkest corners of the internet, say, into mainstream political discussions. And so, like, I don't I don't view Marjorie Taylor Greene as like hostile to our interests. I, I view her as, you know, as a piece on the board, you know, that, that, ha that's in play, you know, and I view her as, you know, a, a piece that you don't want removed from the board say, and that's kind of like how I tend to view everybody who's, who's involved is like, okay, you're a piece on the board. Are you a piece that I want removed? Or are you a piece that I can manipulate in some way to, you know, move things that in a direction more advantageous to me, you know, and that's, that's sort of just how I conceive that's of it. Possible. And there's yeah. not, there's not like, you know, you know what we. You know, I think that one of the things that has become obvious in recent years is that there's not much of a consensus, even in what might be called the dissident right today, as to like what the ultimate goal is. But I mean, for me, you know, the object of my politics is that you know me and the people that I care about can live live decent and fulfilling lives. <laughs> it's fairly straightforward. It's pretty, yeah. It's pretty not. It's not really all that. It's not quite so radical an agenda after all. And and so like. You know, I believe that, you know, the government that we that we live underneath today is so hostile to that to that modest aim that, you know, the, the changes that have to be made, you know, look extreme by comparison. But like, you know, the uh, this is not an unachievable goal, say that what, what has to happen is that people need to get out of their heads that there's, you know, a mold bug reset you know, blaze a glory solution to their problems that actually like politics is actually a pretty boring sport. And what you actually have to do is you have to like show up at like a GOP meeting and, you know, shake hands with people who maybe aren't all that interesting and, you know, pay them compliments that, you know, maybe you don't fully agree with. I mean, that's, that's kind of, yeah, the, you know I what I mean? That. That's kind of the thing. It's actually not, I do. it's, it's not nearly as interesting as political media personalities tend to want to make it out to be because our business incentives are different than the, than the political structure, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of it's long-term thinking. Um, I've 
been a leader for young Republicans and in my local county GOP for years. Um, the boomer problem, if you're familiar with it, is huge here. Um, I live in a pretty nice city. Um, there's a lot of 65 to fucking, I don't know, 95-year-old people that are running our local Republican Party. They can't stand radicalized young white men. They get irritated by it. Um, there's a lot of slimy fucks that give them money. Of course, the local Jewish community, the local, local Jewish Federation, etc. Um, you know, so you have to play your cards really close to your chest. You can't ever talk about proactive anything. You can only talk about, you can only be against something. You cannot be for something. You know, one of my big things being a white nationalist is trying to define what being white means and things like that. And it's literally impossible to talk about affirmative white ideas in the, well, at least in my local, I'm only going to speak for myself, in my local Republican structure. It's literally impossible. Um, I will say one time I met J.D. Vance, um, and he seems to be at least open to more radical ideas. I don't know, you know, how serious he is or if he was trying to earn a vote, which he wouldn't earn mine because I'm not in this state. So who knows? But it was, you know, it was interesting to like one time have somebody in power just listen to a list of concerns that me and some of the younger men that I work with agreed upon that were questions we wanted to ask him. But in general, man, what a depressing scene. I cannot wait until all the silver hairs are out of the Republican Party. Well, I mean, you know, uh, you got to you've got to be there when they leave. Right. Um and so, right. you know, that's that's kind of the object of the contest. But, you know, J.D. Vance, I'd say I listened to his audiobook Hillbilly Elegy. And so, like, he's conscious of, you know, you know, he describes, you know, uh, maybe you don't. I keep on saying, you know, I'm sorry. It's a radio crutch. I need to stop it. Um, you know, he, he, he talks about, you know, white people generally, right? He, he describes... Um, I haven't listened to the book in a very long time, so I don't have quotes from it for you. But I mean, the idea of it is, is that like, this is a white family and, you know, these are the things that they went through and, you know, white America, this and that stuff. And like, you know, the, the, the stories that he has are pretty damn horrific. Like, you know, people in his family were, you know, addicted to opiates and all of this crap. And he, uh, you know, so like he under he, he like when he's lectured to about white privilege, he understandably holds those people in a great deal of contempt, and he understands that what the, that they are malicious. And if you understand that the people who are whining about white privilege are malicious, and they're not trying, you know, it's not a misguided effort to help the downtrodden. It's a it's a malicious lie designed to do nefarious things. I mean, you know, you, you can't right. It's literally designed to hurt people. Yeah, you can't you can't escape the knowledge that there's an ethnic animus behind that once you understand it. And so, like, he's yep. definitely he ha he definitely has some awareness of, you know, the the things that that we discuss in our circles. And so, you know, whether but he he is also he's also strategic enough that he understands that if he he runs around screaming it's the Jews stupid that he's not going to get elected to the United States Senate. And so he's he's cautious, right? I will say he was one of the few that even thought about why we're giving money to Israel, um, which kind of impressed me a little bit. He was like, ah, and he actually had to get on his X feed and defend himself to his constituents and had to come back to Ohio 
to defend himself against accusations of being an Israel show, which I thought was hilarious. That is pretty funny. Um, yeah. You know, he's, 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 you know, you could do a lot worse than J.D. Vance, say, you know. Um, yeah, no doubt. You know, anybody who ends up getting any, you know, in proximity to those, those centers of power, like, you know, they, they, they as they, as they get into greater proximity, they come to know things that you and I don't know. And that, that influences their activity and their behavior and their talk. And so, you know, how much of that can be described as compromised and how much of that is them being prudent actors aware of the situation more than you and I, only they really know that we don't. But, uh, you know, I think that, yeah, I got the impression that he's smart enough to kind of be able to parse it. I mean, he is, I think Yale or Harvard educated, he, he seemed to be able to parse our concerns, which were heavily laden with Israel concern, as well as straight up white working people's issues. He was able to parse that, offer reasonable answers without pandering, and that was good enough for me. And he's not an embarrassment. He's not an embarrassment like Green that we were talking about earlier. So, yeah, I thought he was pretty decent. Right on, man. Well, uh, anything, uh, anything else you want to get out there before I move on to other callers, friend? No, no. I appreciate the time, man. Thank you very much. Thank thank you very much. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please give us a call. This is pretty funny. So, um, Shkreli, who's like a pharma millionaire, went to prison for a little while, either that or just some guy in the chat who took that name, um, got my hopes up for a second. I was like, holy shit. Oh, my God. I got a thousand dollar super chat and it's not even tony i've got a new wealthy benefactor here it's a pharma bro and then i realized what he sent me was a thousand library coins <laughs> the, the the fucking the uh the the lbry token that has some purpose on odyssey which i have yet to fully discern so he sends me a thousand of these things which which amounts to about five dollars uh, and he says, do you think they'll ever release the recordings of the Sign v. Kessler court proceedings? I remember calling in to listen and cracking up when you dropped some hilarious lines. Anyway, have this $5 worth of LBC cheers. Um, some of that audio has been leaked. There's an Odyssey channel called Fascist Freddy, which has some of my cross-examinations. Um, the, the, the court is never going to release them because, to the best of my knowledge, the court did not keep recordings. The the The... The court order was that it was illegal to record it. It wasn't like the government said, we're keeping out the only authorized recording. It said, no recording. So I don't know that there's an official recording of that uh, to be released. If there is, I, I certainly hope that it comes to light. And anybody who, you know, I'm, it's, I, I don't believe for one second that there was not more people recording that thing. I mean, you know, I've encouraged people on... I've encouraged people in this audience to record their phone calls for years. I have to believe that somebody who listens to the sound of my voice captured more of that trial on a recording while they were listening to it. And whoever you are, wherever you are, like leak it anonymously, you know, go give it to forget the name of the, the place that published the, the recordings that are on fascist Freddy's YouTube channel, uh, Odyssey channel now. But you could find that out if you looked hard enough. They'll publish it for you, and they'll never tell anybody it was you that gave it to them, you know. And uh, it's been long enough, you know, that, you know, I hope more of that audio comes out. But for now, if you want to listen to me cross-examine uh, the, their white supremacy expert, Peter Simi, uh, 
uh, who else did I cross-examine? Uh, Seth Wispley, the fake priest. Um, Natalie Romero and Devin Willis. That's on Fascist Freddy's Odyssey channel. Um, I am Winston sends $20. He says, I meant to send shekels with that. So I guess there's probably something before that that I need to go find. Um, they went after that Sheriff Arpaio in Arizona or whatever his name was for enforcing federal law. Then they went after him for racial discrimination because he didn't include race on applications. Well, of course, you know, that's the, that's the big joke that like, you're not, you know, because you're not racist enough, we're going to come after you for racism. Uh, you need to order Domino's and specifically get the chocolate lava cakes. This will be enough for two orders plus one cup of icing and tip. Too cold to go outside, says Tony Soprano with $33 in a super chat. Buddy, 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 buddy. I appreciate the $33. Um, and you have uh, you paid for some portion of the Chinese food order that I ordered today. I did not... Uh, as a matter of fact, right before the show, I ordered Chinese, and it was. And it, I haven't done that. I don't think I've done that since I got out of prison. It was really good. Um, you know, I've been like, I've been hesitant to spend. <laughs> I've been hesitant to spend money on anything that doesn't create an asset. You know, especially like you know, I buy food obviously, but I haven't been you know treating myself to restaurant takeout or whatever. And I did that today with the Chinese food. It was really good. But I'm not getting fucking Domino's, and I'm certainly not getting chocolate lava cakes and a cup of icing. Like, Jesus Christ. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to get in better shape, not worse. But uh, thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate it. 217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Um, wait a second. Both of you are calling in for a second time? Like, all right, go ahead. What's going on, uh, caller? Me or somebody you, you else? just called in. What happened was I skipped the guy in front of you because I recognized that he called in a few minutes ago. Oh, yeah. I was just wondering why you hung up on me. I was talking about Devin Stack. And, yeah, because uh, you're a fucking jag you off, you fucking me. faggot. Fuck you. I'll ban your fucking number. You do that again. Caller, you're on the radical agenda. Hello, yes, uh, <clears throat> I'm calling in for the second time. Yeah, I know. You're correct. <laughs> uh, I wanted to comment briefly. I know you probably are skeptical about this thing, but they are. South Africa is bringing up um, Israel on genocide charges. And it, it'll, be next, it'll be this week. It'll be Thursday. Uh, they have a hearing in this court. And they have a strong case because the reason they have a strong case is not only is there a genocide going on, but five or six or seven of the top officials of Israel stated publicly in English that they, that, hey, we're going to kill all these goddamn uh, people there. You know, I mean, so there's an intent is obvious. Now, it is political, but still, there's 15 people that will vote on it, and there's a chance it will. Uh, what they're going to ask for is a like a cease and desist. <laughs> order, whatever they call it, international parlance. Uh, they're going to ask for Israel to stop killing everybody there for while the trial goes on, which will take a couple years. But they, they, it has been done before. This guy Milosevic got uh, convicted in, in that court. So, I mean, it's a possibility. But you're talking about uh, people joining hands. Carrie Lake in Arizona is trying to do that. She got... She got the election stolen from her for governor. Now she's running for senator. 
and she's ahead in the, I mean, she probably might win, I don't know, but, uh, so she's, she's trying to make, uh, to an extent, because she beat the, the, the rhino, the rhino, uh, lady that was running against her in the prime, in the Republican primary for governor was, uh, a trophy wife that had a 92 year old billionaire, uh, husband and she so she's just trying to buy blatantly buy the uh nomination for governor but carrie lake beat her in the primary then everybody thought well hell she's going to win in the in the uh in the general election but they stole it from her so now she's trying and she's trying to make she's trying to i guess uh to an extent shake hands with the rhinos that she beat in the primary in the first place and but now they're suing her for also one of the guys that stole the election from her the the recorder, Maricopa County recorder, is suing her for defamation. So I don't know the, the court system is screwed up. What, what happened in all these all these court cases she tried, and, and uh, the other guy tried Abe Hamaday. What these judges do is they just uh, delay. They'll hear the case and they'll just say, "Okay, I forgot about it." And then six, maybe nine months later, they say, "Oh yeah, I remember that case." You know, so they just they're it's no good. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, Christopher, what do you think? Uh, I, I, I agree it's no good, and I thank you for the call, my friend. 217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene came up a couple of times tonight, and so I figured maybe I'll play this clip real quick. <laughs> this is the uh, the Marjorie Taylor Greene rap. <laughs> MTG, MAGA's MPV, MVP. The Democrats are a party of pedophiles. They support grooming children. Even Joe Biden, the president himself, supports children being sexualized and having transgender surgeries. Sexualizing children is what pedophiles do to children. MTG, MAGA's MVP. <laughs> MTG, MAGA's MVP. MTG, MAGA's MVP. MTG, MAGA's MVP. Democrats get back. Boom. Reporters even get slapped. They're spreading all these rumors because Marjorie be spitting big facts. In the left, always hating. When they gonna let Joe about that basement? Marjorie, I really love what you do. Keep calling Ronald's out. No one does it better than you, huh? A real businesswoman, AOC's a featherweight. A southern belle, a little hood. Watch her shake and bake. Divorce? That's all y'all got to bring up. Yeah, watch her drain the swamp, cause she know they corrupt. She's fighting for our children. She's fighting for our freedom. She's fighting for the Jan 6. She's fighting good versus evil. MTG, Maggas MVP. MTG. This this thing is like, you know, it, it it's got this. If for those of you who are listening to the audio, I'll I'll describe the scene a little bit. That they've got like this guy's I don't know. He could he maybe he's white. He's sort of like he's got face tattoos and hand tattoos. She's standing on the back of. I don't know what kind of car that is precisely, but, you know, like um, a car that is maybe, uh, I don't know, 70s red, you know, sort of race car type thing, convertible. And then they've got her sitting in this, like, this really tacky fake throne. <laughs> and it's so cheesy. It's so bad. She's a boss. because they saw Them libertarians can't save you, wipe them off. 45, he never lost. Watch a real Georgia Peach go and set it off. But I think what upsets me the most, Vinny, is, is the fact that everyone in Washington has known about the Biden crimes 
yet regular Americans, they go to jail if they don't pay their taxes. They go to jail if they walk in the Capitol escorted by Capitol Police like Jacob Chansley did. And so, you know, but anything that calls the Democrats a party of pedophiles, you know, is basically generally good is my personal view of it. And so uh, I got a kick out of that when it was uh, introduced to me by a listener. And so thank you very much for that, friend. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please to give us a call. Tyler the Berator says, keep up the good fight, my dude. Send $65. Thank you very much, my friend. I will. Appreciate that. I really do. Um, <laughs> Tony says, oh, LOL, geez, this isn't AI. She's actually there, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the, you know, you're getting there. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, his fixer's office was burglarized hours before the document dump. This is at Los Angeles Magazine. Uh, Stricken Company, the global crisis public relations firm who has a client list of the rich and powerful, including Jeffrey Epstein, was burglarized over the New Year's holiday by thieves who stole many computers and servers just hours before a trove of long-sealed documents, uh, court documents related to the admitted pedophile were released. Michael Citrick said his penthouse offices at 11999 St. Vincent Boulevard, Vicente Boulevard, along with uh, other occupants of the four-story building in Brentwood that bears his company's name, Citric & Co., I think I said st- st- something else before, it's Citric, um, was broken into by unknown thieves just as explosive new documents about Epstein's proclivities with underage girls were made public. It didn't cross my mind, Citric told the Los Angeles Magazine over the phone Thursday when asked if he was concerned about the timing of the burglary just hours before a years-long records fight ended when a judge ordered the release of roughly 900 pages of documents from the 2015 federal civil case, Jeffrey v. Maxwell. The records offer new insights into the allegations that Epstein and his accomplice, Jelaine Maxwell, which includes previously undisclosed deposition transcripts, Palm Beach police search warrant records, and the names of potential witnesses to their crimes. The new revelations were part of a defamation suit filed by lawyers for uh, Virginia Jeffrey, which, who was underage when she said she was trafficked to powerful men, including Pris Andrew by Maxwell. It has to be a coincidence, Citrix said, of the theft, adding that there were no Epstein records in his office or any compromising information about any of his clients among the items stolen. He added that he does not believe the crooks targeted his firm specifically. There were several offices in the building, and in addition to ours, which were broken into and robbed, all of our computers are password protected and dual uh, factor protected and encrypted. It's state of the art, he says. No one's getting into them. The LAPD confirmed that officers responded to a burglary report on the 11,000 block of San Vicente Boulevard on January 2nd, which is when Citric employees returned to work. No other details about the break-in were made available. And so, you know, they're going to tell us that, you know, nothing happened here. But it's an interesting data point nonetheless, I'd say. 217-688-1433, you like to be on the program. Uh, let me see what else do I got here. I like, you know, I don't want to talk about the news anymore. Like, I have to find a whole new bit. You know, I understand that people like, you know, me reading the news, but I like don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> 
Sorry, give me a second. It's so repetitive, right? Like, it's just, you know. It's a, it's the same thing every day now, you know. And I don't know if that's, you know, my experience, you know, making it seem repetitive. Like, I, I think that it's my it's my distinct recollection that, you know, I used to read the news on the show and I'd be like shocked at what I was reading. Now, the things that I'm reading are disturbing in the extreme, but they're not shocking anymore because because this is the world that we live in. <laughs> right? It, we it, things have gotten to a point where I said so many times over the years that I have to stop saying that they've gotten that they've gone as far as they can go. That they can't that they'll always find some way to top it, right? That that I I I'll never cease to be amazed. But that actually, it, it has sort of happened just in that, while what they do is disturbing and sick, it actually doesn't surprise me anymore. That's not good, you know, it's not good for me, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm so accustomed to it. I'm like, okay, well, you know, so you're covering up for a pedophile and you're, you're, you're draining our, treasury to give it to some foreign kleptocrat and you're going to get us all killed because you want to exterminate my race from the planet this is what i understand the world to be when i wake up in the morning before i start reading the news right <laughs> and so when i read news that simply confirms what i already know to be the case i'm like this is not news anymore but at the time there was it was you know there's a story, um, there's a guy, Menendez, Senator Bob Menendez. We covered the story when, it, for, when he first got indicted. He was indicted basically for helping the government of Egypt. And he had received all these bribes, like gold bars and stuff. And now it, it turns out that he was also helping the government of Qatar. And so he just got a, a superseding indictment for that uh updated federal indictment was filed against senator bob menendez on tuesday alleging that he accepted payments from a notable notable north jersey developer fred dobbies in exchange for using his power and influence to help dobbies with a business deal in qatar the updated indictment alleges that the now infamous gold bars found in menendez's englewood cliffs home were payment for helping dobbies get a Qatari investment company with ties to that country's government to invest in a Dibi's property by doing things that were viewed as favorable to the Qatar government. In June of 2021, Menendez allegedly introduced Dibi's to an investor who was a member of the Qatari royal family and the principal of the firm, who then negotiated a multi-million dollar investment in one of Dibi's New Jersey real estate properties. During those negotiations, Menendez allegedly made public statements supporting the government of Qatar. And after attending a private event in a Manhattan hotel, uh, in, uh, after attending a private event in Manhattan hosted by the Qatari government, Dibi said sent Menendez a picture of a luxury watch website with models priced up to twenty three thousand nine hundred ninety nine nine hundred ninety dollars. How about one of these? Before messaging the senator again two days later about the Senate resolution in support of Qatar. While the Qatari firm was considering the potential investment, Menendez made multiple public statements supporting the government of Qatar, the indictment says. Menendez would give statements to Dibis so he could share them with the Qatari investor and a Qatari government official associated with the investment firm, the indictment says. Now, this goes on for some length, okay? But it's actually pretty telling about other phenomenon, right? Or another uh, other phenomena, I should say. 
So Bob Menendez goes and you know tries to get this guy a deal with the Qatari government. And in order to do that, what he does is he says that, you know, the Qataris are a bunch of swell guys. Oh, well, that's interesting, you know. I wonder if that has any bearing on the fucking complete nonsense that you hear senators saying about Israel. <laughs> Our greatest ally, right? Oh, we have such a unique and special relationship with Israel. We'll defend Israel at any cost. We're going to take care of them because they're our greatest ally in the Middle East. They're the only democracy in the Middle East. Yada, 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 yada. <clears throat> so Bob Menendez can be indicted. Let's, let me find one of the quotes that, you know, they have these statements here that he made. Here's what he said. In a press release dated August 21, 2021, on Menendez's website, he indeed praised Qatar's effort to help house Afghan special immigrant visa applicants, refugees, and other at-risk groups seeking refuge in the United States. Quote, I am grateful to see our friends and allies in Qatar be moral exemplars by accepting Afghans, ultimately seeking safe haven in the U.S. after being forced to escape their lives, Menendez said in a release. Okay. That's that's so mild in comparison <laughs> to the things that you hear said about Israel, right? Oh, I'm grateful to see our friends and allies in Qatar be moral exemplars by accepting Afghans, ultimately seeking safe haven in the U.S. for being forced to escape for their lives. And for that, he's getting, you know, millions of dollars in gold bars. <laughs> What do you think happens when you're a United States senator and you go and you say, oh, Israel is our greatest ally and the only democracy in the Middle East and anti-Semitism is evil. What do you get when you're Ron DeSantis and you go to Israel to sign a law that's going to put Floridians in prison for insulting Jews? If Bob Menendez can get millions of dollars in gold and be indicted on the basis of that for saying, I'm grateful for seeing our friends and allies in Qatar be moral exemplars, what do you think goes to these people who are kissing the asses of the people who run our central bank? <laughs> well, the first thing they're getting is they're not getting indicted which is a really nice feature of working with the Jews. <laughs> when you help the Jews, you don't go to prison. And that's, you know, that's one of the really, you know, huge benefits of doing that. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please to give us a call. Tony sends $25. Bro, order the Domino's Lava Cakes. Trust me on this. Just burn off the calories later. You're going to need something to cheer you up after your next MK spanking. Oh, oh, well. Also, I really think it would be funny to see you do reactions to the viral TikTok politics shit. Um, uh, he sends $7 with that one. Um, you know, I, uh, I can think of things, the, you know, I'm not ordering Domino's lava cakes. I don't care how much you pay me, Tony. I, I appreciate the money, but I'm not going to order sugar from Domino's. I'm not going to do it. Um, I will suffer my MK beating 
in dignity, and I will uh, endeavor to be better. <clears throat> I've been doing the MK thing. I, I had like, you know, I think at different times, there's people of different skill levels playing, I think. You know, if I play sometimes during the afternoon, I've, I've done a few games where I recorded them, but I didn't stream them. Uh, and I've had some, you know, mixed luck, shall we say, playing Mortal Kombat. I gave Counter-Strike another shot the other day, too, by myself. I didn't stream it, and I didn't... Or I did... I streamed it. It was very late at night. But I went on Counter-Strike, and I actually... I played a few... I did the practice thing, and I was like, oh, I'm good at Counter-Strike now. <laughs> I was doing the practice thing, and I was like... And I was the MVP each time. And I was like, yeah, like, of course I'm the MVP. I'm good at stuff, you know. <laughs> And then I went and I started playing with other people. And it was, I just got smoked every time. It's like I was not out there for, you know, 30 seconds before I got my brains blown out. And then they kicked me off the team. You know, I was like, what the fuck? They voted me off. And I was like, I didn't even do anything. Like, I was really well behaved. I didn't, I was, I, I want to go on Counter-Strike and like talk shit to people. But it's like, I didn't do that that night, you know. And I was like, but other, there was another guy who was talking, she was calling somebody a nigger. And so like, I thought that was pretty funny. And so I started doing sound drops, you know, I, I started, you know, uh, 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 just call them niggers, you know, I'll go home and get your fucking shine box. Race wise on everybody. And then for doing my fucking sound, sound drops, you know, they fucking, they kicked me off the goddamn counter-strike team. And I was like, well, what the fuck, man? I was like, if you're going to be fucking jagoffs about it, I'll just call you a bunch of kikes. What the fuck? And so, you know, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> oh, man. Respect my authority. Oh. Oh, that was the Hello, one. Akbar! I was playing on the counter-terrorist team, and every time they killed me. Uh, Hello, Akbar! So, anyway. I don't know, guys. I think I'm going to wrap it up. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm actually not feeling so hot today, if I'm honest with you. And so, uh, if anybody wants to call in, call in now. I'll, I'll, I'll read one more news story. If there's, no, if there's nobody on the phones who has not already called in, if you've already called in, don't call me again uh, tonight. I really try to keep it to one call per episode. I, I haven't been enforcing that. I, I used to have it set up that if you tried to call a second time, you'd get a busy signal. I don't have it set that way because it sort of it. I realized that sometimes that didn't work the way it was supposed to, and so I, I disabled that feature. But I try to keep it limited to one call per episode. I mean, if you've got something really great to say, I'll take your call a second time, but that's very rarely my experience. Um, and so... If you haven't called in yet, you want to get on the phone, go ahead and do that now. I'll read this story. Second Biden official resigns over Israel-Hamas war concerns. I cannot stay silent as this administration turns a blind eye to the atrocities. The official wrote in a letter. A senior Biden education advisor on Wednesday became the second administration official to resign from his post over the White House's handling of the Israel-Hamas war. The latest instance of, an, of, of internal turmoil over the war in a letter to Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, Tariq Habash, a policy advisor in the department's Office of Planning, Evaluation, and Policy Development, <clears throat> accused the U.S. of endangering Palestinians and accused the Israeli government of ethnic cleansing. Well, like, you know, what's kind of amusing about that is it's not an accusation. Like, that's the stated purpose of it, right? 
If the guy went on television was literally like, look, why don't we just send all the Palestinians to America? We'll just do that, you know, because we're going to remove this ethnic group from this territory because we're going to do something other than ethnic cleansing that involves cleansing the area of an ethnicity. <laughs> it's not really ethnic cleansing. We're just sending them to go and, you know, do battle with Ugoyim over there. <laughs> I cannot stay silent as this administration turns a blind eye to the atrocities committed against innocent Palestinian lives in what leading human rights experts have called a genocidal campaign by the Israeli government, Habash wrote. Since the Hamas militant group attacked Israel on October 7th, several letters have been sent from Biden administration officials and campaign staffers, many signed anonymously urging the president to reconsider his unfettered support for Israel. About 1,200 Israelis were killed in the attack, while some 22,000 Palestinians have been killed amid Israel's retaliation, according to the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry. In October, Josh Paul, a State Department official involved with transferring arms to key American allies, resigned from his post because of what he called his short-sighted decisions by the Biden administration in providing military assistance to Israel. In an interview with Politico after his resignation, Paul said, controversial arms transfers are normally hashed out intensively, often over long periods of time. There just wasn't any space for that sort of discussion. I attempted it on a number of occasions, in emails and conversations and discussions and meetings, but there was no response, he said at that time. Well, yeah, because, you know, sir, you know, when Bob Menendez says that the Qataris are moral exemplars, he's indicted because he received millions of dollars in gold bars for doing that. And you work for a kleptocratic regime of criminals who <laughs> says that the Jewish people are God's chosenites and that they have the right to kill anybody they want at our expense, right? A month later, more than 500 Biden administration officials anonymously signed a letter urging Biden to call for a ceasefire. On Wednesday, 17 current Biden staffers anonymously called on the president to push for a permanent ceasefire in the month-long conflict. Habash, who is Palestinian-American, <clears throat> cited the national, nationwide turmoil on college campuses following the attack. The education department must protect all students who wish to protest the war, he said, noting the alarming violence against Palestinian and Muslim-Americans since the war broke out. Is there really a lot of evidence of that? Is that actually true? I haven't seen any evidence of that. Simply put, criticism of the Israeli government and its violations of international humanitarian law is not anti-Semitic, he wrote. Well, that's, that's where you're wrong, friend. That's exactly what anti-Semitism is. And maybe you should get on board. Claims that conflate criticism of Israel's government with anti-Semitism only seek to silence dissent against a foreign government. Well, you know, it, it seeks to silence, you know, dissent against the domestic government, too, pal. And you're involved in that and you're complicit so maybe you should stop. Speaking with CNN Wednesday night, Habash called Biden's refusal to call for a ceasefire untenable with the belief by millions of Americans across the country. A spokesperson from the Education Department told Politico in a statement that they wish him the best in his future endeavors. Well, isn't that a nice thing of them to say? Isn't that a nice little boilerplate statement? Oh, well, we wish you the best in your future endeavors, which is a nice way of saying, fuck you. Uh, Tyler the Berater says we need more nuanced voices like Chris well thank you 
Thank you very much, Tyler. Um, and we need more people who berate in this fashion by throwing money and compliments at me. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The radical agenda, you know. <laughs> when the radical agenda became the voice of reason, then you knew that everything was completely fucked, friend. <laughs> we used to do, you know, the, 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 the catchphrase, right, it used to be common sense extremism. I used to say, uh, we talk about radical, crazy, off-the-wall things like property rights and contracts or some mundane, you know, obviousness like that, you know. I thought that was a pretty goddamn good gimmick. Uh, and it's really, it's it's come full circle. <laughs> it's, it's, it, we're there, you know. <laughs> I'm like, hey, calm down, you know, stop threatening people and maybe like go to the meetings with the political party and try to, you know, you know, influence politics in a slow and tedious fashion. <laughs> it's it's like it's less, you know, rewarding to ideologues, say, but you know, but when I talk about that, you know, I, I what what's amusing to me though about that is you know, that actually is the more extreme position, right? So like, you know, I, I, I mentioned in I think stage six episode zero or at least or maybe in stage one episode one of surreal politics you know i quoted van jones right he's like i'm willing to forego the cheap satisfaction of the radical pose for the deep satisfaction of the radical ends okay and so like what do you want right do you want to impose your will upon a continent of 320 million people do you want to control the world's most powerful military and impose your will upon the world in that way? Because that's a pretty fucking extreme thing to do. That's serious, you know. What's not serious is like, you know what I really want? Is to be lauded by powerless people by the dozens, right? <laughs> You know what I really want is to receive the approbation of social media users in my radical ideological echo chamber and accomplish nothing. But at least I'll say edgy stuff. That's not actually like a very, you know, that's not a radical thing to do. That's actually very moderate. You know, it's, it's, there's no ambition involved in that and so you know i said uh on my new year's send-off you know i was like i'm more patient than i was before and like since i lacked patience before that feels like a superpower you know i had this idea in my head when i started the show that like you needed to have you know Basically, you just needed radical ideologues to turn up the ideological fervor to such an extent that those ideas would manifest in reality, say. But that's dogmatic ideological mysticism, right? That's not real. That doesn't actually mean anything. That's ideological fervor manifesting itself is not a plan. <laughs> it's not. 
doesn't actually do anything. It's just masturbation. And so, you know, I want my ideas to, uh, what's the, what's the phrasing I'm looking for? I don't want to spray my ideas against the wall to shower, say. I want them to fertilize the egg. <laughs> and so, Tony says, order the lava cakes or I'm going to follow you home and rape your dog. I'm going to get a dog one of these days, Tony, and if you rape my dog, I'm going to be really upset about that. So, it's a good thing I don't have one now. But, uh... I appreciate uh, the fifteen dollars that you sent with that message, all the same, and I appreciate your uh, your another support, and all you guys who um, were not in the super chats today, but you you know have a credit card in your wallet, you want to go do that, you go to givesendgo.com/spm. You can uh, you got that cash app thing. You can hit me up on a cash app. My cash tag is Edgy Chris. I got all of my Bitcoin and Monero and all the QR codes for the crypto stuff. The crypto stuff is, you know, you guys are all rich. You guys all, you guys just, you gain like 20% in the last, you know, month or whatever it was. So go ahead, send over all the, send over all the cryptocurrency. Um, Libertariat, I second the idea of the lava cakes. Why are you all trying to get me fat? You know, what are you talking about? Do you have, you have any idea what I do to avoid sugar? Every once in a while, I, I consume sugar. I realize that I'm missing something. If, I, if I'm here in the afternoon and I've had a good night's sleep, <clears throat> but I sense my eyes closing anyway, like I realize, like, am I like hypoglycemic or something? And then I'll go and I'll grab, there's actually like a vending machine in my building, and I'll go grab like either a little bag of chips or like so every once in a while I'll grab a soda. Oh, my God. To go drink a Coca-Cola, I'm like, oh, my God, this is drugs, you know. Um, you know, I don't, I know they're fucking good, Tony. That's why, you know, that's why you don't, you know, you like, you might as well tell me that smoking crack gets you high. That's, I understand that they taste good. That's not, I'm not, I don't dispute this part, you know, just take steroids. Well, you know, no comment. <laughs> You can't eat whatever you want and still be jacked and just by taking steroids. Like, you have to, you know. Steroids will not replace diet and exercise in a fitness routine. You have to, as a matter of fact, like, you'll really screw yourself up that way. You have to do those things and then steroids, you know, make the payoff bigger. It's how steroids work. And I know that because I read about it. So... So I'm going to go before I get myself in any more fucking trouble. Thank you very much. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Shkreli, thank you for the, the the library tokens. As a matter of fact, I was kind of actually running a little low on them. And so anybody wants to send those things, like I, I know people joke about it or whatever. When I see the thousand of them come in and I think it's a thousand dollars, then I realize it's five dollars worth of fucking, <laughs> it's, you know, uh, worth of uh, library tokens. It's not as impressive, but. I was like, oh, I actually didn't need those. Because, you know, when you do on Odyssey, the thing is you do like um, you uh, whenever you create a stream, you upload a video. It like asks like how much you want to stake on the video. And, you know, most of the videos, I don't stake much money. Uh, But every once in a while, if I think something's good, I throw 50 of them on there. I was literally down to like 15 of them. So it was good to get a few of those tokens. So thank you very much.
And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for paying. Thank you all for giving a fucking shit. Thank you for calling in. And I thank you in advance for having a great weekend with the ones you love. I really hope you do. I'll see you soon. That's it. It's over. Then we organized the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda. The event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like uh, sort of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment. Fuck you, pay me.